Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brennan Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I are joined by a dear friend, Dr. Scott Pace, to discuss pastors and preaching through Colossians. Dr. Pace serves as the dean of the college at Southeastern and is an associate professor of pastoral ministry and preaching at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has written, co-written, and edited numerous books, included Preaching by the Book, Pastoral Theology, and most recently, the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary on Colossians and Philemon, with our president, Danny Aiken, which we will be discussing today. I almost lost my breath saying all that, and I actually <laughs> cut your, your bio shorter because there's so many things you do. Uh, but thank you, brother, for joining our conversation. Happy to be here and excited about uh, the topic we're talking about today. Excellent. So let's jump right in. Before we preach a text or through a book of the Bible, uh, it's probably wise to understand the background of the book. So my first question is, why did Paul write Colossians? What's the main idea of the letter? What is the message? Yeah, it's interesting because um, so much of Colossians, when you hear it discussed among preachers or even read it in commentaries, is actually defined uh, by the heresy he seems to be addressing, which is largely a mystery that nobody can you know, precisely pinpoint, uh, which I think is some of the challenges with um, interpreting Colossians that we can't let the tail begin to wag the dog. Uh, I think the questions you asked, Brandon, are, are really important. When you think about why Paul wrote Colossians, one of the interesting facts that a lot of people um, omit uh, from kind of the uh, background of it is that Paul had never actually met them in person. So when you begin reading in chapter 2, he talks about those in Laodicea and all of those, including the Colossians, that he has yet to see face to face. Obviously, it's one of his uh, first prison epistles. And so he's writing them, longing to come to them, but he's heard of their faith. The gospel has spread to the area, and he wants to, in essence, welcome them to the family. Mm. There are some issues that he's going to address, but in my mind, um, kind of the, the main thrust behind the letter, the impetus behind the letter, letter is to welcome them uh, to the family and then to exhort them and encourage these young believers in the faith that includes a caution of beware of this particular you know, uh, tripping point or stumbling block that you are going to face. Um, and I think it's really found in the theme verses. You know, a lot of times in the New Testament letters you can identify, here's a theme verse that kind of unlocks everything in the uh, book or letter. And for me, in Colossians, it's kind of, it's, it's in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just read it. But therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Mm. That's That really is the heartbeat of the letter to the Colossians. All right, man. And I, I tell you, I'm excited to read that letter right now. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of my absolute favorite letters in, in all of Scripture, uh, and, and largely because of uh, the picture of Christ. So mm. you've received Christ, uh, so now walk in him. But Paul is very particular in his description of who Christ is yep. in here. So he's almost like saying, now, let me remind you uh, who this Christ is that you're supposed to walk in and, and so on. And as you mentioned, there are some challenges or there were some challenges in Colossae 2 
walking in Christ mm-hmm. and 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 living in, if you will, the 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 uh, reality of His supremacy and mm. His sufficiency and 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 so forth. Uh, well, you've got pastors who are considering this book uh, today. They're considering uh, preaching this letter. What are some worldviews that challenge? Uh, our confession today. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are some, uh, 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 just as Paul addressed them, yeah. you know, whatever these mystery ideas yeah. are, uh, what are some of the contemporary uh, challenges to the, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ in the church? It's a, it's a great question because I do think uh, that's some of the timeless relevance. You know, right on the heels of those theme verses, he challenges them, therefore see to it that no one takes you captive, mm-hmm. which is speaks to the nature of the enticement enticement and trappings of what they're trying to do according to the vain traditions and, and philosophies of the world. And so I do think that's some of the timeless. And in some part, can I even say this? Because uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that's maybe, in God's providence, why we can't pinpoint the the exact heresy. Hmm. Because if we could, we would almost limit it to that, when in reality, because it's somewhat vague or general, we can actually apply and appropriate mm-hmm. it to the, the issues of our day mm-hmm. and age. So what are some of those? I, I, you know, as I think of it, uh, in some ways, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. We're going to face stuff that uh, they faced uh, in the first century, um, materialism, uh, hedonism, mm-hmm. which is going to speak to just kind of the pursuits of our pleasure as the utmost goal and highest end, uh, culturism, which is just kind of uh, being um, kind of swept under the tidal wave and the the, the – current of the culture. Uh, so I, I think that was very much like what they were going through. And when you look at our culture, you see a lot of those today. And and even kind of the religious, the religiosity kind of uh, taking true spiritual understanding, which is some of what was going on there, and it was being adapted into some religious form of spirituality that wasn't genuinely Christian. There was definitely mm-hmm. some syncretism going on there mm-hmm. and stuff. And you see that today. People are trying to, almost like a smorgasbord or buffet, pick and choose and blend them together and kind of boil them all down into something that suits them. And I think Colossians addresses all of those. One other particular part that's probably uh, most relevant for our, our age are things that we see as hot-button uh, topics, things like division, or prejudice, injustice, or preference. Colossians actually addresses some of those. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes and really quickly will quote like a Galatians 3.28, um, but in Colossians, I think you can kind of see in, in uh, uh, chapter 3 in verse 10 and 11, it talks about the image of the creator that's being renewed in Christ that we have, and then he identifies all those self-made humanistic barriers that they had erected that divided people. Mm-hmm. And he says Christ has abolished all those. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing, obviously, in Ephesians chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And so that same concept, I think, is extremely relevant uh, for us and maybe a timely message as to how Christ unites us together and removes some of those superficial boundaries, um, you know, between us. Yeah, no. I, I, well, I, I was going to say, I, I tell you, with... Um, uh, the various uh, uh, approaches to spirituality, very various approaches to religion, and so on. The end of chapter two is so uh, on point there, mm. where he talks about them and he says these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, right, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value 
in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Mm. Uh, they look the part. Right. But you are not going to defeat the flesh. You they are not promise, going to but they can't sin. deliver, right? Exactly. They, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, he goes there. Only Christ can transform the heart. Only Christ can give you victory over the, the sins of the flesh and so on. Uh, yeah, stop, stop playing with the fakes, mm-hmm. if you will, right. and, and, and go to the real one. So for pastors who might be finishing up their, their current sermon series and are already thinking about, okay, well, what, what am I going to be preaching through next? Why should they consider Colossians? Make, make your pitch for them. Oh, my gosh. Well, and, and Ron Jor mentioned it uh, early. It's easy for Colossians to be a, a fan favorite, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, for pastors uh, because there's such high-level Christology. There's such depth in terms of its doctrine. And yet there's a lot of street-level practice that goes on there. Mm-hmm. And Colossians maybe, I mean, it's hard to you know quantify is it more than any other book in the New Testament or what, but it just seems to have a blend that everybody can relate to, and it weds the two together in terms of uh, theology and practice. If I was going to make the pitch to say, why should you do it? First and foremost, it would be the supremacy of Christ that's clearly um, you know, kind of elevated throughout the letter, obviously the Christ hymn in chapter 1. Mm-hmm. But throughout it all, it ties our position in Christ uh, to the practical admonitions uh, of the letter. And so the rich Christology is going to be one that everybody can resonate with and celebrate. Uh, I think sometimes we get lost in the um, kind of the, I'll say the practical guidance of how should I live or what should I do. And I think we, we uh, sometimes can get discouraged by the circumstances in our world, get overwhelmed by the responsibilities we have to try to make things right. Uh, in reality, focusing on Christ. In fact, my sermon uh, when I preach through Colossians on that Christ hymn is actually called Christ in High Definition mm. because the concept of high definition is if you change the, um, the sphere of, fo- of focus, uh, everything else in the background becomes less clear. Mm. And that really is the goal of Paul elevating Christ to where everything else kind of fades in level of significance and importance. And I think that's certainly something we could stand for today. Um, I do think there's a lot of position and practice in Christ. Um, If I can get real kind of preacher workshop type of conversation going on here, which I know we like to do, uh, when you think about the indicative and imperative um, in terms of this is true, therefore this is how you should live, a lot of times we look at books uh, that are clearly divided that way. So by way of example, we would look at Romans and say the first 11 chapters mm-hmm. are here is the indicative. This is what is true. Chapters 12 through 16 are the imperative. Therefore, here's what you should do. Ephesians finds a kind of a, a equal division. First three chapters, indicative. Last three chapters, imperative. The cool thing about Colossians is it weds the indicative and imperative throughout. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly taking, here's what's true, here's how you should live, here's what's true, here's how you should live, rather than kind of segmenting it. And I think from a preacher standpoint, um, that's kind of refreshing. You don't feel like you're wading all the way through the theological and doctrinal assertions to put the application off to the end, but it's weaving them together. Right. Uh, and I think I think that's uh, cool. Last thing I would say by way of pitch is um, its relevance and application. It also blends personal and corporate. Mm. Um, so many times we find ourselves gravitating towards one or the other. The letter to the Colossians doesn't let you do that. There's so much of the corporate application that's just as vital and crucial to the community of faith as there is the personal application of, okay, well, what's my role in that? How do I carry that out? Uh, whether that be in the marriage, in the home, family, or just kind of in our engagement with culture around us, 
both of them uh, kind of fit. And I think as preachers, when you're looking through, how can I preach through this book? That'll be some of the stuff that's really appealing. Mm, that's a great pitch. I'm just looking forward now to all <laughs> the graphics of Colossians that pastors are going to be posting over the next few weeks. Yeah, the sermon series. That's awesome. There we go. So let, let's double down a little bit on that, on the practical uh, nature of of the uh, letter here. So Paul obviously is talking, and as you said, he's got a, a very high Christology mm-hmm. uh, in the letter to Colossians. Now, there are folks that will hear that, and they say, nope, see, you lost me. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, you're, you're talking, you know, Christology and, you know, all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily, like it says, right. in, in uh, both in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Uh, and, and, and so you hear that, and you go, I I didn't come here for a theology lesson. I came here to church. I didn't go to seminary. Right, right, you know? right. Uh, I, I didn't pay tuition for this right. and everything. And so uh, Paul, and I think you're absolutely right, he connects the dots between uh, Christology and the life of the body, the life mm-hmm. of the local church. Could you uh, just uh, lean into that a little bit more? Like what are some examples of, of where he connects the dots like that? Yeah, I think it's interesting because he does go from that high Christology to the rubber meets the road type of thing. And if you just look at the Christ hymn, you can kind of see the stair step down into it, almost in an incarnational way. Uh, but then the, the way it kind of fleshes out through the rest of the uh, letter. So he establishes him as Lord of creation, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then he kind of segues into the head uh, of the church, and then it moves into the Savior of the cross. And mm-hmm. so you see this supreme dominance of Christ over all things. Then in his particular redemption of the church, you see him as the head and that he has a designated covenant people that he is uh, called out to himself that he's desiring to work through. But then when it comes to the Savior of the cross, it's very personally applied. It's individually understood that we now have peace with God through the blood of his cross. He's established that for us. And so that's where you kind of see, um, like you said, the, the, the dots connect. Man, theology and practice. And it doesn't have to be over our people's heads. And the cool thing is it doesn't require this kind of uh, high-minded uh, complex understanding of some of the Christological wrestlings that we have. It's just very clear. Mm. You know, one of the things that uh, sometimes if we begin to try and chase the heresy or whatever, people want to define or read, interpret the Christ hymn and define Christ based on what Paul was trying to address. This goes back to one of the things that we alluded to in the beginning is that Paul doesn't seem to do that. He seems to define Christ in universal terms that will dispel any competing or rival kind of doctrine or understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that puts it in a place where everybody can understand, right. everybody can relate to, um, and then everybody can apply. So I think even in seeing it, Christ in the Christ hymn, you see how it covers the, the, the swath of both. Yeah, I mean, even think in chapter 3 when, uh, you know, again, just this massive view of Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, that's a sermon. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Mm. You know, here he is high and exalted, seated at the right hand of God and so on. And then you get the practical, set your minds on things that are above, not on right. things that are on the earth. Well, what does that look like? Well, verse five, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse eight, uh, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander 
and obscene talk from one another uh, uh, and do not lie to one another, you know, and so on. And put on in verse 12, uh, uh, kindness, humility, uh, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, uh, forgiving each other, putting on love and all of that. Right. All of that flows from he's seated at the right hand of the father. Right. And so you're going, How'd you do that? You right. know, how did you get from the ascension to that's why you need to uh, uh, stop with the sexual immorality or that's why you need to stop lying to one another? Right. You know what? Because he's exalted. You know, right. It, it just in Paul, there's there isn't any like you don't need a GPS right. you know, to get there. And, and you don't have to like uh, devote yourself to these rituals and things yeah. that he kind of addresses at the end of the chapter. And it all flows from that. Mm-hmm. And so it's um it's really powerful and practical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's oh, really good. I, I'm thinking about pastors that might be listening to this right now thinking, man, Colossians is rich. You know, you're talking about Christology. We're talking about theology, heresies that are going on, all of that. How do I even begin to organize this if I'm preaching this, if I'm, yeah. if I'm preaching a series? How would you recommend pastors even think about organizing this? I mean, I'm looking at your Bible right now, right. and I just see all the, the different <laughs> highlighting colors and all of that. Right. So, so teach us. Yeah, no, I mean, um, in my mind— Walking through, and anytime you, you're preaching through a book of the Bible, you want to kind of find that central theme and, and kind of center around there, which we've talked about. But then kind of look for those uh, full patterns of thought, what we call pericopes or that type of thing. And with Colossians, um, there's some cautions in it. I don't think following the, the uh, conventional chapter summaries or headings uh, are, is, are, are best practice in Colossians. Sometimes those are really helpful um, some in more uh, books than others in terms of in the New Testament or in the Bible. Uh, in Colossians, oftentimes I don't necessarily feel like it captures it. So mm-hmm. if I'm organizing it, uh, in fact, if you if you get a copy of the Christ-centered exposition uh, commentary that just came out, and I preached this last year. I was doing an interim uh, down in Southport, which is on the coast here in North Carolina, and I preached 10 sermons through Colossians. And I think the challenge can be with a letter like Colossians because it is so rich to try and zoom in mm. on a particular verse or a couple of verses, and you find yourself thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be in Colossians <laughs> for the next three years and, or, or whatever. And it's only, you know, a four-chapter book. It's not even, you know, Romans in that sense. Um, and so I think make sure that you don't boil it down into to too fine of mm. a point where it can become almost atomistic. It's focused on such of the microscopic detail of the text uh, that you don't unpack the, the, the flow of what's being said. So I kind of boil it down into 10 different messages. Um, and conceptually, you might just think of it as kind of grounded, growing, and grateful. And so those are kind of the, the themes that kind of weave themselves throughout. Obviously, you have the, the Christology and some of those types of things that are in there. But ultimately, for the Colossians' sake and for us as believers uh, and the church at large, it's grounded in Christ. As you have received Christ, so walk in him. Growing, that's the continue, being rooted and established in faith growing, and then grateful, doing it with thanksgiving. That verse in 2, 6, and 7 really does pull all of those together, and I think you see it woven throughout the letter, and those are going to be kind of repeated bubbles that come to the top. I see what you did there, too. Oh, yeah? All starting with G there. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, a habit of, <laughs> a, a, I don't know. Some people call it an affliction of uh, <laughs> being alliterate and all those things. Anyone listening, this is not his first rodeo. Right. <laughs> it's like doubly Baptist because it's three, too. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, yeah, but, it, you know, like, but for instance, like Thanksgiving is um, mentioned at least once in every chapter as we have it organized, mm-hmm. but it's woven throughout the letter. Right. That's something that you want to emphasize and, and be able to spot and identify. So always doing the homework to kind of capture the whole picture of the letter, 
before you start breaking it down, then breaking it down into individual thought patterns mm-hmm. or pericopes, if you will, um, and, I, and using the structure of that to, to be the messages. Yeah, I mean, you see, uh, even in where where the chapter breaks kind of kind of break down. Yeah. You know, in, in chapter one, uh, twenty four, uh, he says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church." You look at two one. For I want you to know how great a struggle right. I have for you. Right. So you're going. He's still talking about the struggle. Yeah. You know, he's still talking about how he's he's suffering for their sake and 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 so forth. And uh, even in chapter two, the way it ends, if with Christ you died, verse twenty, to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive, do you submit to regulations? And then verse uh, chapter three, verse one, if then you have been raised right. with Christ, seek the things that are above. It's like you died with Christ, you rose with Christ. And it just, it just, that's down. where the beauty of, of Colossians comes to for me is when you begin to see those textual details. Mm-hmm. And so when you rewind, um, I'll look at the Christ hymn, give you another example of what you're pointing out. Uh, oftentimes people like just 15 through 20. Mm-hmm. Well, 20 through 23 is then the, again, the imperative behind that. If that is true, then here's what you should do. So it yeah. is that indicative imperative thing. And then uh, the one you mentioned there that crosses over chapter two, end of chapter one, end of chapter two is definitely where people kind of make an unnatural division within the text. After the theme verses, what you see is Paul, I'd, I'd look down and kind of, verse 11, 12, 13, he begins to distinguish. Here's your positional reality, who you are in Christ. You have been buried. Uh, You were also raised. You have been made, you were dead. You have been made alive. You have been forgiven. That sets the tone for everything else you're you're gonna look at. Mm -hmm. So in chapter two, verse 20, it's like you mentioned, if with Christ you died, boom, here's the thing. Well, then at the beginning of chapter three, well, if you have been raised. Well, when you tie back those back to what he did at the end of chapter two, you've been raised, uh, you were dead, now you've been raised. You can kind of see the sequence that follows there. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned earlier the putting off and putting on. This is who you are in Christ. You've been raised with him. Therefore, don't live like you're dead. Live this way. Therefore, put off this, put on this. Mm-hmm. There's this stair-step sequence that kind of goes back and forth and toggles back and forth all off the theological truth in the practice of it. So those are some of the, in my mind, the richness of Colossians in the practice wedded with the deep, rich theology and connected there. Yeah, yeah. This is so good. (laughs) I'm loving this episode. All right, uh, so what are some do's and don'ts? So somebody's preaching uh, Colossians. Uh, What are some things that you'd say, hey, kind of go in this direction and and don't go in that direction? Yeah, um, I think it's easy to find yourself steering into one end or the other because theology and practice, the benefit of wedding those together all throughout the book is that they fit together. But the challenge is if you see it through one lens or the other, you find yourself the seesaw is only weighted one way and you never tip it the other way. Mm -hmm. So you can become very theologically oriented or very pragmatic Mm -hmm. uh, in your preaching through Colossians. And I, I, I think you have to avoid that. I think you do want to avoid the individual versus the corporate understanding those two have to kind of fit together. And we do that, quite honestly. We do a poor job of that with all of our preaching. Mm-hmm. You know, just by and large, we segregate the individual from the body. Right. In reality, application should always be corporate and mm-hmm. individual yeah. uh, in that sense. Um, and then, you know, is your uh, kind of splicing it up, again, making sure that you tackle um, the thoughts, the, the pericopes, more so than an individual verse that you just feel really passionate about or, or that you feel like you could mind the depths of forever. Um, 
you just want to guard yourself from from taking your your people into a verse that's they kind of get lost in the matrix and don't see where it fits in the overall flow of of the thought there. Um, and then uh, can I say this? Don't disregard either the intro or the ending. Mm-hmm. So the welcome. Man, Paul sets out some very important understanding in his prayer. He's praying for them, but it's kind of a twofold prayer, uh, verses really one through eight, and then it kind of segues into a second uh, type of prayer. Um, but there's a lot of truth that's embedded in that greeting, mm-hmm. and sometimes we just dismiss greeting as right. kind of like, oh, that's just the epistolatory opening, and that's just you know kind of the status quo. There's a lot of truth to mind there. And then at the end, with all the greetings and the farewells and the mentions of different people, there's mm-hmm. a lot to be mined from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would just say uh, don't let either happen with Colossians because there is so much there. The, the whole goal of the letter um, is, kind of, is reflected in both of those kind of, I say throwaway, not because we view them that way, but often how we treat them, right. uh, those throwaway, the beginning and the endings to the letter. Yeah. No, I think that's really, really helpful. This has been a great conversation. Any final encouragements for pastors who will be preaching or are preaching through this letter already? Yeah, I would I would say this, and, and we have to be careful in our, our hearts, that we don't just follow the structure of the text, but we echo the tone of the text. Mm. And, man, when you read through Colossians, it's joyful, it's hopeful, it's thankful. And you got to understand, Paul's writing from prison— and largely issuing a caution. Mm. Mm-hmm. When we write from a circumstance or, or, or preach from a, a circumstance that seems overwhelming or difficult, kind of almost uh, dark by way of the, the current situations in our world, and when you combine that with a, an admonition that has a caution in it, we can become very, um, uh, I don't know, jilted or kind of harsh or... Kind of, and, and Paul doesn't do that with the Colossians, especially because he had not met them face-to-face. I think he's wanting to make sure. So he doesn't have kind of the Galatians tone that's coming over the top or even the tone that we read in the uh, the letters to Corinth. I think in, in Colossians, there's this joyful admonition of walk in Christ and enjoy the beauty of your relationship with him. So for me, by way of uh, what you asked, Brandon, echoing the tone of the letter, I think is important. Staying upbeat and encouraging with even when there's cautions and admonitions in there. And then last, I would say, uh, celebrate the glory and majesty of Christ. Mm. That's what this letter does. Mm -hmm. And uh, in light of that, we can live with that joy and hope and thanksgiving. And so you want to exalt Christ because that's what the letter does. Mm. Amen. Well, that will do it for today's conversation. Brother, thanks again for your willingness to sit down with us and for writing the latest commentary in the Christ-Centered Exposition series. Pastors, you will definitely want to pick up this resource and add it to your library. You will not regret it. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. Uh, We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.